In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the question of the day, do you have a job or do you have a calling? I hope you have a calling. I hope that goes for your your work in the world. I hope that goes for your work here in the church, but they're different. And as a matter of fact, in the church, when we think of a calling, we typically think of ordained ministry, holy orders, either as a priest in the church, leading the church deeper into worship and prayer, or as a deacon leading the church out into the world, or, God forbid, as a bishop. (laughs) When someone feels called to ministry, to ordained ministry, at least when I was going through it, and and by and large still, the the Diocese of Oregon has some, some twists on it, but the process goes like this. This is boring, feel free to take a nap. The first step, when someone thinks maybe they're called to ordain ministry, is to go and talk to their priest, their pastor. And if the priest believes that the calling could be real and true and isn't just a crazy whimsy, then the bishop is informed and the vestry puts together a discernment committee to help the person further explore their perceived calling. Now in the Diocese of Oregon, it's not the vestry that does it. The the discernment committee is now a diocesan thing and it's it's a little bit different, but, but close enough. In most dioceses, the vestry puts together a discernment committee. Committee, there's that word. Must be church work. Anyone ever feel called to a committee? (laughs) It's an important piece of it because being called to ordained ministry isn't just an individual thing. Not only does a person feel called into ordained ministry, the church also must feel similarly called to ordain them, so that the decision to ordain someone is a decision that's always made in community. And things vary from place to place, but typically the first thing that this discernment committee will do is ask the aspirant to write a spiritual autobiography. Anybody ever write a spiritual autobiography? EFM types, I know you guys have, yeah. Beginning at the beginning, from your earliest memories of Sunday school, way back when you tell the story in in writing of your relationship with God. And the discernment committee sits down with the spiritual autobiography, and they, they read it through, and then they start asking probing questions. And what they ask depends on what they see in the autobiography, but the questions are seldom easy, the deep spiritual things. They'll also typically look at the aspirant's finances and family situation and see whether they're up to to years of seminary and then depending on on how their ordination goes, possible relocation to someplace else. The process in the parish can take months or, or sometimes even years. And then finally, When the parish has decided that they hear the calling to, both the discernment committee and the rector will send their recommendations to the bishop. And then the bishop has some conversation with the person and sends them on to, keep count now, the Diocesan Commission on Ministry. That's two committees. These are ordained and and lay people from all over the diocese who have never met the aspirant. And basically the process goes everything that just happened in the parish over again at a diocesan scale. Often there's the same autobiography, all the same probing questions, all to see if if this person is is called. 
And at the diocesan level, the process again can, can last for a year or, or more. And if the diocesan commission on ministry and the bishop approve, then the aspirant is now called a postulant and is allowed finally to go to seminary. And during three years there, depending on the process, not only will they learn what their professors have to teach, but postulants will continue discerning their call. And they'll write letters to their bishop at the Ember Days, as adding new chapters to their spiritual autobiography, essentially, and usually also asking for money. <laughs> Seminarians often, many of my classmates, qualified for, for WIC food stamps, Medicaid, and the like, because you give up your job to go to seminary. Every year, the, the, the postulant will also meet with a faculty committee who serve as a, a surrogate commission on ministry when, when the postulant is away. And, and then they'll go through, through clinical pastoral education, which is working in, in a chaplaincy at a, a hospital or a jail or a, a hospice. Close to the end of seminary, there are the general ordination exams, which are a, a nightmare. And then the postulant will sit down with the diocesan standing committee. That's three. And the job of the standing committee is to make sure that the process went the way it was supposed to, that all the forms were signed, submitted, and filed, and done according to canon, and that, that everything in the process went smoothly. Some standing committees, though, see themselves as a second commission on ministry, and the questioning begins all over again. When finally the standing committee is satisfied, the postulant is now a candidate, a candidate for ordination. And they meet with the bishop for one last big conversation, and if the bishop is still on board, then a date will be set and the candidate will be ordained as a deacon. And if that person's calling was to the diaconate, woohoo, they made it through. That's, that's the end. For those who feel called to be priests, or God help them bishops. There will be service as a deacon for at least another six months, up to a year, before they are finally ordained as priests. And you know what, it happens very rarely, but even at this point in the process, even when somebody has been ordained a deacon, the bishop can still step in and say, no, I'm not going to ordain you as a priest. And then at the ordination service, the candidate finally gets one final chance to back out and the people are given a chance to object. It's a, a lot like a wedding service. Does anyone here know any reason why? And then finally, the, the congregation is asked not for their objections, but for a positive assent. Is it your will that this person be ordained? And only after a hearty yes will the service proceed. And then, after the creed, the bishop and all the priests who are in, in attendance will come forward and they will lay hands on the person and the bishop will, will say some prayers and say, make her a priest in your church. <sighs> Five to six years, depending, sometimes longer. And today, most people who start that process are about 47 years old. So I'll ask you again, anyone here have a calling? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
that was a lot easier. You're sensing the difference. There's no selection process. There's no, there are no spiritual autobiographies. There are no committees, no bishop, no education. There's not even a congregation giving their assent. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee there in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark loves that word, immediately. What's the difference? We've got the church's long, drawn-out, five-year process or more. And then we've got Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the big kahunas, the founding members of the church, who were called and followed Jesus immediately. Part of the difference, of course, is it's Jesus, not the church, doing the calling. But there's another, an important difference. The difference is the apostles were not ordained. The apostles were lay people. That surprises people. I'm going to say it again. The apostles, Peter and Paul and Thomas and, and, and Matthew, they were lay people. In the Bible, we don't hear much about ordination. There's, there's a little bit. We get the names of seven deacons. There, are, there might be the three priests. There's John the Elder who wrote the letters of John and, and maybe Revelation. The word elder is presbyter, which priest is a corruption of the word presbyter, so he might have been a priest. Timothy and Titus maybe were priests. Um, but Peter, Andrew, James, John, all the rest, they were like you. Fishermen. Tax collectors, there was a rebel. Thomas, by tradition, was, was too young to go out in the fishing boat and, and had to stay on the shore and mend the nets. Paul was a tent maker. The founders of the church, the foundation of the church, were lay people. The tongues of fire rested on the heads of the laity. Angels came to break them out of prison. Lay people healed cripples and raised the dead. Lay people carried the gospel into all the known world. Lay people wrote the letters and the books that we call scripture. So who would like to serve on the vestry? <laughs> we have one more opening. What have you been called to do? What have you heard Jesus calling you to do? Do you have a job or do you have a calling?